0: Love you and praise you and thank you God for the hall of Faith Lord uh, not only is it men and women who lived lives of faith but it was men and women who were imperfect God and and what ministers to me most is that you don't say anything about um, their imperfections or their faults or uh, their mishaps or their uh, the times that they did not obey you God uh, but you only speak of their great faith and that's how you see us you see us as the finished work in Christ, God. So I thank you for that and that we can look at these lives today and we can glean from them, God, and see how you um, really Take imperfect people uh, and mold and shape them like a perfect God and use them, God, um, in all ways, shapes, forms, personalities. and, um, And so we just thank you for that, Lord, and we see that today. So would you bring your scripture to life to us in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, the last time we were together, we looked at the first 12 verses of Hebrews 11, what is known, as I said, the Hall of Faith, a list of 17 or so, probably more than that because some are clumped together, lives of extraordinary people. Um, Really, they're ordinary people that God used in extraordinary ways, but nevertheless, we call them extraordinary, right? Uh, we also noted that uh, this chapter is divided into two, with the first three verses being and really giving us a description of faith, and the remainder of the chapter showing us a demonstration of faith. We know we talked about, and most of us know that faith, according to Hebrews 11:1, is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things unseen. Or, as the New Living Transla- Translation says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives assurance about things that we cannot see. Confidence is a firm trust, literally meaning to stand underneath and to support. Faith is to the Christian what a foundation is to a house. We discussed that. Without a proper foundation, the house will fall. And without proper faith, we will as well, right? The remainder of this chapter, verses 4 through 40, gives us, as I said, the demonstration found in lives of people... Who lived out godly faith. So in the first 12 verses, we saw real faith lived out in Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. In these examples, we saw that true godly faith is a faith that worships. It's a faith that walks. It works and it also, we know, waits, right? Now we move into the remainder of the chapter with yet more examples of what real faith looks like in the lives of the patriarchs and heroes and heroines of the faith. So today we will continue in this Living Faith Part 2 Uh, and I promise you we will not have a part three, although I would love to have had it, but we're going to finish here today with faith that waits, wars, and wins. Praise God. So Hebrews 11 is a record of men and women who both live by faith, and then we'll learn today, died by faith as well. We left off last time considering the patriarchs of the nation of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and those who waited in faith. Nobody likes to wait, do we? Especially when we're waiting for something that's been promised to us. Nobody likes to wait. For me, waiting is one of the most difficult things that I have to do. Yet true faith is able to wait for the fulfillment of God's purposes in God's timing. Verse 8 tells us that by faith Abraham obeyed. He obeyed when he didn't know where he was going. He lived in tents because he was a stranger, a pilgrim in the land we know, in this world. He was ready to go, ready to move, ready to Do whatever God had him do at any point, any time. We, too, though, are strangers in the land. We're pilgrims in this world. We're we're told in John uh, 17 that we are not of this world, although we live in this world, meaning that we physically are in this world, but we are not to be part of its value system. As believers, we should be set apart from the world. We're not to be engaged in its sinful activities, nor are we to be conformed to it in our mind. Rather, we know that Romans 12, 1 tells us That we are to be transformed by the constant renewing of our mind uh, through the Word of God. Romans 12 1 and 2 says, We are either conformers or transformers. We're either conforming to the world or we are transforming the world. Conformers are those who change from the outside in, while transformers change from the inside. Out And we know what is it that changes us from the inside. It's the word of God. It's our spiritual soap, right? That goes in and washes us, our heart, our mind, our actions, the intents and thoughts of our hearts. And that is what comes out. The word of God. We know that only Jesus can transform our lives, right? I mean, it's through the word of God and through his Holy Spirit. It's through Jesus that our life is truly transformed. Abraham Isaac, Jacob, and their families lived a nomadic lives, dwelling in tents while waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled. They didn't know when they would inherit the promise. They just knew that they would, because God promised, and God cannot lie. They had a life in the land, but they never possessed the land that they were promised. They would never themselves get to the promised land. It would be their descendants that would get there. Yet they were not simply living a temporary life here. Or excuse me, they were living a temporary life. Their life here was not permanent. They knew there was something more. And that for them was eternity. They were looking for their life here on earth, the thing that was promised to them. But as we look at the lives of the patriarchs and we look at our own lives and apply it to our lives, we know that this is symbolic, that we are here on this earth, that it is temporary, that we won't ever enter into anything here, but... It's there. It's in heaven. It's, that's where our home really is. This is just a temporary stop along the way. It's the dash between our life and our death, right, is this time. Abraham was told that he would have more children that he could even count, more than the stars in heaven. Now, you can imagine. Here's Abraham when we talked about him the last time. Doesn't have any children, but yet he's promised. Of course, we know he takes matters into his own hands. He gets a type of the flesh, the Ishmael. Finally, 25 years, he gets the promised child, only to be asked to sacrifice that promise. Is there anything that God has promised you or even given you then to ask you to lay it on the altar? I think we can all say yes, right? Yes, there are things in our lives that God has given us. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's, I don't know, um, a livelihood, an occupation, a home, whatever it can be. And the Lord has blessed us with many things. But back to Romans 12.1. He asked us to lay it down. And really, he's asking us to lay us down in laying all those things down. Maybe it's a child that the Lord said... Lay him on the altar. Maybe it's a husband that the Lord says lay down. He wants all of us, ladies, and we know that. Easier said than done, right? But when we look at the lives of someone like Abraham who waited and then he got the child, the promised child, and then he offered the child knowing that even so obedient to the Lord, even if he was to kill his own child that God would raise him from the dead, that's faith that's faith. That's what the author highlights here, this great faith. Do you believe that God keeps his promises? Really? Do you really believe he does? Do you have a track record in your life where God has kept promises? Yes, I think we all can say that, right? Are you willing to wait for that promise and trust God? even if it hasn't come to pass, even when it is as good as dead in your life? Are you praying for a prodigal, a family member, a husband, somebody to come back to the Lord, to come to the Lord? Keep on praying, ladies. Do not lose heart. Even if you have to wait 25 years, the more you pray the more the enemy loosens his grip on that person, that thing, whatever it is. Keep praying. Enter into that battle and be willing to war while you wait. The covenant blessing of Abraham was then passed to Isaac. Isaac owned a few wells, we're told, plus some grazing land for his flocks, but he still lived in tents. And there was really no significant heir in the land. It was Isaac. The covenant blessing was then passed along to Jacob. Jacob had 70 descendants, including his own sons who became patriarchs. We know they are the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. They were his son's. But they were forced to move out of the land, you recall, um, in the story of Joseph in the time when there was a famine in Egypt, and the Lord used Joseph then to provide for his own family. Jacob lived nomadically, still, in tents, like his father and his grandfather, never seeing his descendants inherit the promise. Could you imagine? Your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your father, nobody yet has inherited the promise. Jacob died in the land of Goshen outside of Egypt, but he still believed that God will fulfill the promise. So the patriarchs had a taste of the fulfillment of the promises, but they only welcomed them from a distance. Now verse 13 tells us that they all died in faith, not... Having obtained the promises. Can you believe it? Oh my goodness. But having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. D.L. Moody commented on this passage saying, We should have far more faith than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They lived way on the other side of the cross. The patriarchs, the prophets lived in the dim light of the past while we are in full blaze of Calvary and have seen the resurrection. When we look back and think of what Christ did, he says, how he poured out his blood that men might be saved. We ought to go forth in his strength and conquer the world. Our God is able to do great and mighty things. Amen? Good word from D.L. Moody. As it was for the patriarchs of the Old Testament, the same is true for us. God has promised us eternal life, and yet, like the patriarchs, all of us will die, unless, of course, the Lord takes us in the rapture. Uh, nevertheless, we die in faith, living for a kingdom and a country that we have never been to. So how was it that they were able to die in faith when they had not received the complete fulfillment of this promise. We're told right here in verse 13, they saw, they were assured, they embraced, and they confessed. That's highlighted in my Bible. If you want to do that, it helps. They saw the promises from afar off. This is that they saw in faith, with eyes of faith. Not physically, but with eyes of faith. And the eyes of faith can see more than the physical. Remember, faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is not seeing, but believing nonetheless. Jesus commented on the faith of Abraham to see what he could not see when he was confronted by the religious leaders saying in John eight fifty six, your father, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad Abraham could see what nobody else could see. You know, sometimes the Lord gives us insight into something that nobody else sees. It really is a gift from God. He allows us to see a situation, to have some foresight, to see into the future almost, to give us hope and to help us to hang in there when we are doubting, when we're discouraged, when we're fearful. In seeing the promises of faith from afar off, that in turn led them to be assured of them, meaning to be confident. Of them, that they could be certain that these things would come to pass. And then, in turn, it led them to embrace them, meaning that they were clutching them. They were holding on to them so tightly and would not let them go, which then led to confessing them with their mouth, meaning they admitted them and acknowledged them publicly. What they saw in faith concerning the promises of God, they were assured of. They welcomed. They embraced those promises of God uh, as being part of their lives. You know, it takes faith to believe that all things actually do work out for good, right? for those who love God and are all called according to their purpose. It really does take faith to trust, especially when we're going through a difficult time. It's a very easy verse to just roll off our tongue when we're sharing with someone else who's going through it, isn't it? But when we are faced with those circumstances, it's very difficult to receive it, embrace it, and then ourselves confess it. Nonetheless, It is a promise from God. I'm assured of the promises. I then embrace it. I take it as my own, and then I live by it. This assurance and embrace of God's promises led, as I said, to them confessing it, admitting it, and acknowledging it publicly. Verse 14 says, They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. The patriarchs believed God's promises, were assured of his promises, and they openly confessed their belief, which was that they were strangers in the land that they were looking for a different home, that that wasn't their home, that their eyes were on the prize. Somewhere else was their homeland. The fact that they would openly say that they were sojourners and pilgrims proved that they embraced these promises that were given to God. And the same thing is true with us. Our life of faith proves that we believe the word of God. Amen? When Abraham was purchasing a burial site for his wife, Sarah, in Genesis 23-4, it tells us that he openly confessed before the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger, meaning he was someone who didn't enjoy the rights usually possessed by residents of the land. He was a pilgrim. He was a sojourner. He was a temporary Resident of the land. In Genesis 47, when Jacob was brought by his son Joseph, you recall, to meet the Pharaoh in Egypt, Jacob confessed to Pharaoh regarding his pilgrimage in Genesis 47 9, saying, The years of my pilgrimage are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourn. The important point here, ladies, for us to take from this portion of Scripture is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob believed the promises of God. And what they believed, not only affected what they said, but it affected how they lived. And that should be said of us as well. What we believed should not only be affecting what we say, but how we live our lives. People should be able to look at us and know that we trust the Lord, that we live by the word of God, and that we believe, even though God has not yet fulfilled certain promises in our life, he has not come back to get us yet that nevertheless that does not affect what we believe or how we live we should all be living lives of faith they believe the promises of god would be fulfilled and that belief carried over into the way they live their lives do you believe what god said in his word is going to come to pass yes anyone Yes. Amen. We do believe. Do you believe that he has stored up a place for you in heaven? That there is a mansion there? Amen. We do believe that. And we live a life that reflects that very belief. Do you believe that Jesus is coming again? Yes. Yes. Amen. That, ladies, is our hope amen? That's what gets us up every day. That is what keeps us going, that Jesus is returning. Anytime we forget that Jesus is returning soon, we need to be reminded. We need that to be the forefront of our mind, because when we don't live with the urgency of Jesus Christ soon return, we become idle. We become complacent. We become in danger, don't we? We need to live with this. We are sojourners. This is a temporary land. This is not our home. It is our stopping place only. If we can live every day waking up with the soon return of Jesus Christ on our minds, you bet there's a fire lit underneath us. That we are busy about his business. That we do not take any time idly and, um, and that God will be using us in mighty and powerful ways. A.W. Tozer said the Holy Spirit, who is the real author of this letter to the Hebrews, uses the terms pilgrims and strangers to remind the early Christians that they were not yet at their final home. The message still reads the same today. Christian pilgrims are journeying, that's a hard one, whatever, you know what I'm saying, by faith, From an old city that is cursed and under threat of judgment to a blessed celestial city where dwells Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. What the patriarchs believed affected what they saw. And how they lived, and it also affected their thinking. Verse 15 and 16 says, And truly, if they had called to mind the country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, I underline that, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God For he has prepared a city for them. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't keep remembering the place the Lord had brought them out of. Instead, they kept remembering where he was taking them. Amen. They had their eyes set on the prize, on heaven. It can be, ladies, a real battle at times to choose to forget the old dark life that we were rescued from. The enemy is relentless in his pursuit to take us backwards, to remind us of the past, and, and he seeks to hold us there, to tempt us there, to draw us there. You know, in Numbers 11, when Israel had come out of Egypt and uh, were dwelling in the wilderness, they were mixed. It says they were with the mixed multitude among them, and they began, you recall, um, inciting um, second thoughts about going back. Because they were murmuring and they were complaining. And they all started then looking back to the old life in Egypt. Numbers 11, 4 through 5 tells us. Remember the fish, they said, which they ate freely of Egypt. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except for this manna, what is it, we know, before our eyes. When we hang out with mixed groups of non-believers, whether it's in our workplace or it's our choice to do so, we really do put ourselves in a dangerous place. Because what the Bible says is, you know, the people that you hang around, basically I'm paraphrasing, is what we'll become. What we're around is what we'll become. (laughs) Over a period of time, it will wear on us. And we will begin complaining as well. None of us likes to be around complainers, do we? I mean, we like to be around people that are going to point us to Jesus and encourage us and tell us not to complain and call us out when we're doing that. That's the people that we like to be around But we put ourselves in danger when we choose to be in this atmosphere. And um, and we can easily be swayed by pressure, as were these people. And we begin to compare ourselves, complain about what we have. And then uh, with each complaint, we get closer and closer to looking back. And that's what happened, we know, with Lot's wife, right? Genesis 19, she looked back to Sodom. She longed for it. Abraham could have made the same mistake. He could have looked back to those years of idolatry, of being comfortable, his life in Ur of the Chaldees, rather than living in the time of tents. But instead, he chose to believe God by faith. Why? Because he knew what we now know is that there is something better. There was something better for him. And ladies, there is something better for us. And that better is what? Heaven. (laughs) Our eyes are there. They're on the Lord. They're on heaven. They're on that place that's prepared for us. And that's where our eyes are, on a place that is better. This is our temporary dwelling place. The enemy, though, will always try and get us to return to the past. The place we left behind. The vomit of the world. And somehow make it appealing to us. When we know we left it. But he comes back and sometimes tries to tempt us in that way. But God has something better. A better country that he has prepared for us. We're told... that they had a desire to pursue the heavenly country. And this word desire implies not only desiring, but then taking a step further and seeking after that. The literal meaning is to reach after. The present tense indicates that this was the way that Abraham and his wife Sarah, Isaac and Jacob, continually lived every day with a heavenly mindset. Is that how you're living? I tell you, it's a lot easier to live with a heavenly mindset when you have somebody in heaven. Right? Those of you, some of you are here, you know, when someone you love is in heaven, when your spouse or somebody very dear to you is in heaven, it, it helps. It's like a constant daily reminder for us. That that is where we are going to be living permanently. Not temporary, but permanently. The Apostle Paul used a similar word when he was describing his personal desire. Listen to this. Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do know forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is how we are to be living. The patriarchs believed in it. They were assured of it and they embraced it. They lived a life that reflected it and their confession revealed it and their mentality and pursuits in life demonstrated that their eyes were on something better. Verse 17 through 19 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, as we have discussed, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. This is astonishing. So here he has his promise, and he knows it's gonna come through the son that he waited so long for. And then he was called to offer that son as a sacrifice. Wouldn't you be going, but I thought he was the one. I th- Remember all the stars, God? <laughs> it was going to come through this guy, this kid, my seed. And you want me to offer him? I would have been scratching my head. But we are told of Abraham that he never, ever hesitated The Lord spoke to Abraham and told him to take his only son, Isaac, up on Mount Moriah and offer him there as a sacrifice. Isaac, the beloved son of Abraham, is a picture we know, a type of Jesus Christ. It's really astonishing that we don't read of Abraham ever questioning God. No hesitation, no struggling, no dragging his feet. Abraham got up, we are told, early in the morning, saddled the donkeys. He gets the servant, gets the wood, and gets going to do exactly what God told him to do. It's also extremely important to note that Abraham and Isaac were going to a specific place, they didn't know, that God was directing them to. Genesis 22, three says, and they rose... Uh, And went to the place which God had told them. Verse 4 then in Genesis 22 says, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place. Verse 9, then they came to the place. Why is it that this place is so significant? Mount Moriah. Because Mount Moriah we know is where Jesus would die on the cross. Same place that Isaac did. And if you're going with us to Israel, you will see the place. It's a ridge that runs through the old city of Jerusalem. It's the highest point at its peak. It's outside the northern wall of the city. Golgotha is its name. It means the place of the skull because it looks like a skull. Not so much anymore. The nose is kind of half on, half off, you know. But nevertheless, you can see a picture. I recall the first time I went to Israel, it looked just like the picture. And then over time, this um, ridge where this rock looks like a skull is wearing. But nevertheless, um, it is believed to be the place that Isaac was offered, that Jesus was offered as well. You see, Abraham was told by the Lord that it was through Isaac that his seed would be blessed. Isaac's birth was so miraculous that Abraham then, (laughs) because we know it says that Abraham was as good as dead. And so it it was a miracle, honestly. It was a miracle that Sarah got pregnant. It was a miracle that they were able to have this child. And so Abraham had a track record with the Lord, and he saw... If, this, if God could do this, then I know that he will deliver my son here. Do you have a track record with the Lord? Has he done miracles in your life and you can sort of connect the dots, but he's really asking you now to trust him because this is a big miracle? There's something big and you're lacking trust. But if you would go back and connect the dots, they would add up to trust me, have faith in me. I'm going to come through. Offering up Isaac was one, probably, I would say, maybe Abraham, if he was with us, he would say, that was the hardest thing he's ever done. But yet it was also the greatest thing he ever did was trust the Lord in this way. And there are times, ladies, when the Lord will require us to do difficult things, to offer things up. And it will be, and we will say, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. But yet we will see full circle when some time passes, hindsight's 2020, right? That we can see, wow, that was the greatest thing I, was, I did, but yet God triumphed in the end. And he came through just like he said. Hebrews eleven twenty 20 says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Genesis 27 um, gives us the story, the backstory. We all know this. Jacob stole his birthright from his brother, passing this heritage now along the line that it was supposed to be, not to Esau, but to Jacob. Who was also tested? Hebrews 11:21 says, "By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he did the switcheroo too." You know, it's interesting how that leaning in on top of his staff, Genesis 48, tells us that Jacob had been reunited with Joseph, that he now was on his deathbed in the land of Goshen, and Joseph brought his two sons, you recall, before his father, wanting them to be blessed. But, you know, the older and the younger there, Manasseh was the older Joseph's sons, and therefore Joseph placed him on Jacob's right hand. The older is always at the right hand and Ephraim on the left because he was younger. But Joseph, or excuse me, but Jacob in that moment of pronouncing the blessing um, thought his father was confused. Excuse, Joseph thought his father Jacob was confused because he switched the hands and put his right hand on the younger and his left hand on the older. Genesis 48 gives us that back story. But by faith, verse 22 says, that Joseph, when he was dying, made mention then of the departure of the children of Israel, and he gave instructions concerning his bones. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, we all have four generations here. These men, we know, were not perfect men, but they were devoted to God and they trusted his word. Isaac passed on the promises to Jacob. Jacob passed on the promises to his 12 sons. Joseph passed on the promises um, to his sons. And um, after even... I love the story of Joseph. Even after the way that his brothers treated him, throwing him into the pit, we know him, selling him into slavery. And then he was wrongly accused. He was in uh, prison. Then the Lord restored him. He was in the palace, second in command. We all know this story, but after all that, he was able to walk away from that, um, never doubting his faith. He, uh, we read of Joseph that he remained faithful to God, and his faith, even through those times, grew stronger and stronger. What amazes me about Joseph is that he was surrounded by the world. Have you ever thought about that with Joseph? Joseph. <laughs> I mean, he really was in an ungodly environment all the time, and yet his faith did never weaken. It grew stronger and stronger. I don't know very many people who could have been placed in the situation and and acted like Joseph did. I mean, far and few between, I believe, had the strength. But remember, Joseph had a track record. He had a track record with the Lord. And the Lord, with each one, just like David, Lion, Bear, Goliath, Joseph had the same, the pit, uh, the prison, and the palace. He had a track record with God, and his faith never weakened, but it and only got stronger. And what I love about Joseph is, although it was a difficult life, he never got bitter. He only got better. And you know, sometimes that can be our story, that it's been hard, it's been difficult. You know, we've had things happen, and we've had experiences like, you know the pits <laughs> we say, oh, that's the pits, you know it really in or we feel like we've been imprisoned at times and and yet Joseph never became bitter, he never was bitter at his brothers, in fact, at the end of his life, i mean don't i mean at the end um of this story, when he's in the the palace and his brothers come and he remembers the vision and they're right before him, and it's coming to pass, he never said yeah, you deserve this to them. In fact, he said, actually the complete opposite to his brothers. He said, don't worry about it. When they were, you know, just really distraught before him, he said, it wasn't you. It was God that allowed me to be in the pit. God allowed me to be in the prison. God then worked in me and strengthened me and used all of that to get me here. It wasn't you. So don't think twice about it anymore. We marvel, don't we, at that ability to forgive like that? But I wonder for us, has God ever asked you to forgive somebody who has hurt you, who has mistreated you? And yet you know that God actually used it or is using that very thing in your life to make you stronger, to build your relationship with Him, to draw out your dependence upon Him. God does work in mysterious ways in our lives and He will use adversity and trials to accomplish it. In fact, I think that that's really what He predominantly uses in our lives. I know for me personally, It's been in those, uh, my most difficult times that I have grown the most. I call them growth spurts. It's just like, whoa, I just really grew because of this very difficult season or situation that I find myself in. And when we come full circle in the Lord by faith, we can honestly say, don't worry about it. It wasn't you. God used you to be my sandpaper people, you know, to smooth my rough edges, but it wasn't you. God was really the one that was behind it all, and he actually used it for good. What the enemy is intended for evil, God uses for good. Amen? Amen. That is what we want to remember about Joseph. Abraham had a word from God, Isaac had a promise passed on, Jacob had a blessing, and Joseph had a vision. We are blessed to have each of these examples in the word of God for us to take from, the promises, the blessing, the visions, and yet they did not ever lack faith. Amen. We have these men, these patriarchs, to credit that they were men and women of the word. Their faith was strong. In spite of their failures and their testings, they faithfully handed God's promises down from one generation to the next and to the next and to the next. Are you doing that with your family? Handing the word of God down to your family, to your kids, to your grandkids? This may be, ladies, all we can do. But it's the best thing we will ever do. Moving on, Moses I told you this was lengthy. Moses, verse uh, 23 through 29. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's commands. By faith, Moses then became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction, with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the riches of um, Egypt. For he Look to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith he passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. The first part of the story of Moses' life is recorded in the book of Exodus. His parents were named Amran and Jochebed, Exodus uh, 6.20. And they were godly parents who acted by faith by hiding Moses in a basket as a baby. It says they weren't afraid. They weren't afraid uh, of the king's command, we're told. Warren Wiersbe said, Though godly parents cannot pass on their faith as they do family traits, they can certainly create an atmosphere of faith in the home and be examples to their children. A home should be the first school of faith for every child. Amen? We parents have the great responsibility to pass on our faith to our children and to our grandchildren. We do this by teaching them the word of God, by reading it to them when they're young and instructing them as they grow. We are to bring them to church as long as they're in our homes and to encourage them to come when they are no longer in our houses. We are to love them in the Lord, to teach them his ways and his statutes and are to instruct them how to pray. As we faithfully do so, we are fulfilling our role as Christian parents. We may at times become discouraged if we don't see any fruit in our children's lives, but we must press on and not lose heart, for we are promised. That the word of God does not return void. Amen. And Proverbs 22.6 encourages us parents to train up your child in the way he should go. <clears throat> and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Hang in there, mamas. <laughs> Hold on to this promise. If they have departed, they will come back. Amen. All right. Uh, Do not lose hope. Do not lose heart. Verse 25, uh, 24 and 25 says, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses refused to live a pagan life any longer. He rejected it, we're told, and he offered uh, himself rather... um, to be subject to affliction on a daily basis. Moses ultimately rested by faith in the promises of God. For many, this is what keeps them from coming to Christ. The passing pleasures of sin really have got grabbed a grip on them and their life. The problem is that they don't understand that Pleasure is passing, <laughs> meaning it's not there to stay. It is fleeting, and we know that, right? It just comes and goes. It does not last forever. But uh, when you're young and you don't know any better, you think it's going to last forever, and it does not. And therefore, it leaves us in this place of, um, you know, feeling really empty and alone and like we have nowhere to go. But Moses made this choice, uh, verse 25 tells us, rather to continue enjoying the luxuries of the palace to rather suffer affliction with his brethren. Um, And it's a choice that we too have to make at times. We are in a very dangerous place as believers whenever we get very comfortable. That is not good, just to let you know. When you're comfortable, you better ask the Lord, am I doing anything worthy? of the kingdom of God right now. We are not meant to be comfortable, ladies, here on earth. It was never meant to be luxurious. Otherwise, we would want to, what? Stay here. (laughs) We don't want to stay here. So the Lord helps us to keep a very light touch by making it uncomfortable and unpleasurable. And what he does when that happens in our lives is he draws us closer and closer to him. Will we be comfortable or uncomfortable um, when we serve the Lord, we will be uncomfortable when we're serving the Lord. If we're in a very comfortable place, again, I would wonder if you are doing anything worthy of opposition in your life. We are to be bold in our faith, and we are not to be private. We are to be Um, willing to do difficult things and to trust the Lord for the outcome. We are to stand in difficult times and not crumble under peer pressure. We see that Moses chose to suffer over to be comfortable. Verse 26 saying, Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Moses esteemed or considered his decision, we're told, very carefully, weighing the pros and cons. Have you ever done that? Really taking time to weigh the pros and cons. He weighed what Egypt had to offer against what God had to offer, uh, and guess what? God won. <laughs> Because God always has more to offer than this world, ladies. This world, as we said, is passing and the pleasure of passing. And and things get old and they rust and they wear out. But God will never do that. And heaven never will rest, we're told. What we have in Jesus, even here on earth, far outweighs anything that the world has to offer us. Yes, it's hard. But we have the promise of eternal life. Yes, it's hard, but we have peace that surpasses all understanding. Yes, it's hard, but we have the joy of the Lord. Amen? We have so much more than the world offers. Paul said in Philippians 3 8, Yet indeed I also count these things as loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things, not just some things. He says, all things, and count them as trash, rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Moses looked to the reward that he could not yet see, but believed. And we do too. We look to the heavenly place. We need to keep the heavenly perspective. And, um, We need to remember that if Moses, who was revered, was willing to suffer for his faith, we need to as well. And this was a great example for these Hebrews. Now let's step back into the book of Hebrews. Remember where they were at the time. They were in danger of looking back. Some of them were looking back. Some of them were going back. They were um, being persecuted. And so the fact that the author uh, speaks of Moses in this way, they revered Moses. But the question for them is, are you willing to suffer your current circumstance and situation to be an example for others? This was extremely important for them to understand. But a better question I'm going to say is, are we willing to follow this example as well? Are we willing to suffer the reproach of Christ uh, rather than be applauded by the world? Dr. Vance Havner said, Moses chose the imperishable, saw the invisible, and did the impossible. And only we can do that through Christ. He gives us his eyes, the eyes of faith. Moses parents had radical faith, and so did Moses. By faith, Moses stood up against the enemy, and he trusted God for deliverance. And I see here that we 're not going to make it through this whole study. We might have a part three. Oh my goodness gracious, We cannot get through this and not talk about Joshua and not talk about David, but nevertheless, um, i 'm going to try to wrap this up for you gals. We have seen waiting faith, the waiting faith of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and the warring faith of Moses, and now, what a blessing, the winning faith. I mean, like, because it's not always just a war. We do have victory. Amen. <laughs> Joshua, Hebrews 11, 30 through 31 says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab had not perished, but with those um, she believed, and she received the spies in peace. And Joshua, two, the spies were sent, we know the story, to Jericho and Rahab was the one who hid them in her house. Joshua 6, they marched around the wall, the wall fell down, Rahab was spared. I'm obviously paraphrasing this for you and is recorded in Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The principle here is that God blesses faith and judges unbelief. From a human standpoint, Jericho was a possible city to conquer. We know that. So whatever it is in your life, what's impossible right now? Does anything come to mind? That is impossible. Or how about somebody? It is impossible for that person to get saved. It is impossible for this to happen. This would be impossible. That's your Jericho, ladies. Whatever you say is impossible. And something comes to my mind right now too. So what do we do? We march around it. With the word of God, we pray, we, we trust the Lord that our God is the God of the impossible. And um, we have ridiculous faith. I mean, really, it's almost comical. This situation, this scenario, is it comical? I mean, really, like, seriously? You just want them to march around and, and then blow a trumpet? And, and it's really, I mean, I would have been like, okay. Okay, God, yeah, you know, but that's the point. Do you understand that? It's almost comical. Whatever it is in your life, that is almost comical, like no way that could happen. The Lord said, That's your Jericho, march around it and claim it as done. Amen. Likewise, the next four men mentioned Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, all found in the book of Judges. I'm not going to read the scripture there, but I'm just going to touch on these guys right here because it is so important that these people are mentioned. And the reason why is because they were all afraid. <laughs> Which of us hasn't been afraid? These were different personalities. Some of them, Gideon was a farmer. He was a frightened farmer um, whose faith didn't grow right away. He went from a coward to a conqueror. Barak, he won a great victory over um, 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 the city of Caesarea. Caesarea. And, um, and Deborah was the prophet prophetess that had to help him. He couldn't do it. He needed a woman there. You know, just saying. Sometimes, you know, just need a little encouragement. The point in that story is there was no men. So um, there are times she had to step in. Uh, Barak, but nevertheless, he won this victory. Both Gideon, though, and Barak are examples to us of people who faltered in their faith. Samson is similar. We know his story. Even though his faith faltered as he He gave into his fleshly appetites in the end. Of course, the Lord never tells us that here in Hebrews 11 because he's in the hall of faith, not in the hall of boo-boos. You know what I mean? Like in the hall of faults. He's not in there. He's in the hall of faith. And the Lord highlights that he stood for what was right in the end. In the end, he did what was right. Ladies, is there anybody in your life who started well, but yet has pursuing the fleshly things of the world. Trust the Lord that in the end, they're going to come back and they're going to do what is right. That's for somebody here today. And they're going to make the right decision, not the wrong one, ladies. And they will, as Samson, be recorded in the hall of faith. Jephthah, His story is very unique in that he was born from a prostitute and then became a judge who led Israel to victory over Ammon. And, you know, he's the one that when he came home from battle, he was so excited. He's like, Lord, anything you want that comes out of my door, I'll dedicate them to you. And his daughter came out the door. So he regretted that. I firmly believe that he did not sacrifice his daughter because they didn't do that back then, but he dedicated, sacrificed dedicated his daughter to a life of perpetual virginity. That's my take on it. But the point is that God can and does use all of us, all personalities with our faults. Some of us came out of really bad situations like um, Jephthah did. We, we have bad upbringings, and yet it doesn't matter because we're new in Christ. Ladies, if your parents were alcoholics, that does not mean you're going to be alcoholics. Did you know that? No. It's nothing about breaking curses or anything like that. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen? And God has that story in the Word of God, in the Hall of Faith, to show us that God can use anybody. He can use a coward. He can use a son of a prostitute. It doesn't matter who you are. These people who are in the hall of faith were hand selected so that we could see that God uses all types of people, even those with bad upbringings. Praise God. God called, recognized, and anointed uh, David at 10 years old. And we could talk for an hour about the life of David. I'm going to sum it up in <laughs> 60 seconds here. Uh, he, kn- I mean, God called him at such a young age, and God would do great things through this little guy. This little guy, 10, 13 years old, anointed by Samuel, um, 17 years old, no fear, ran out against Goliath. He'd already killed a lion and a bear, and so he knew that God would give him the power to do that. He uh, would be hated, (laughs) this man of God. He would be mistreated. He would run for his life. He would stand in the gap. He was a mighty man of war. He was a strong soldier, a a shepherd. He was a worship leader, but he was also afraid. He also took matters into his own hands. He also pretended to be insane. He committed adultery. He planned a man's murder to get what he wanted, and he tried to cover it up. He would, though, however, in the end, repent of his sin, and he would suffer the consequences of that sin. David is a good reminder to us that no matter how God uses us, we are to remain humble in order to remain usable. We are to be brave and yet not prideful. We are to remain in the battle and never become idle. And we see that with David. It was when he was at home, just kicking back on vacation, and everyone else was at battle, he stayed home, that he got into trouble. It's that idle time that is the enemy's playground, ladies. Be mindful of that. We need to stay in the battle, fully clothed, of course, in the armor of God. Have you stepped out of the battle today? Step back in. Get busy because we do not want to be comfortable. We do not want to be idle because um, that is a very dangerous place for us to be. Maybe things have gotten in your way. Maybe you're someone that says, oh, let someone else do it. Someone else, they can do it better than me, and and you've got plenty of help, or I don't need to help, or whatever it is. Get back in, ladies, because when we are out of the battle, we are a sure target for the enemy The battle is where we belong on this earth. Fighting, standing, proclaiming, walking, waiting, warring, winning victories, as did all these people that we looked at today. We cannot end without mentioning the men and women whose lives were taken. Not everybody was miraculously delivered here today. Some died for their faith. The fact is that it takes more faith to endure than to escape. Amen? That may describe your situation today. You may be in the midst of the fiery furnace, and it's hot. But as with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Jesus is there in the midst, and you will not be burned. Hang in there, ladies, and know that the Lord will not give you more than you can handle. Be assured that he is using your current situation to make you women of faith. Look to him today, gals. Draw from him today and let him draw out your great faith. We know That it takes more faith to endure than to escape. So if that's you today, I just want to pray for you gals right now as we close. Lord, I pray, I'm just feeling prompted by your spirit, that if there's gals here that are in a situation that they want to escape, God, I pray that you would minister, that you would speak to them in your still small voice, God, even now. That they are to endure that they are to stay, that they are to hang in there, God, that they are not to lose hope because you are drawing out their great faith and they have a story just like the people we just read, God. You are fulfilling your plan and you are writing their story of faith even now, God. So strengthen them today. We trust you will, God, that you will strengthen all of us to continue, God, to walk to wait, to war, and to win this battle of faith. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen.